May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. In St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes, as we just heard read, that if as a Christian you have experienced any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then out of that love you are to be in one accord and in one mind with your brothers and sisters in Christ, doing, as he goes on to write, nothing from selfishness or conceit, and looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. In this, St. Paul continues to write that we have as our ultimate example Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, emptied himself and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humankind, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Paul not only wrote these words to the newly formed church in Philippi, but he sought to live them out each day as he put the interests of others, including the interests of the church, of his community, ahead of his own interest, which, as we know, led him to be arrested and eventually executed for treason, for refusing to renounce Christ and worship the emperor Nero. Nearly 2,000 years after Paul wrote those words, the German Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer not only read those same words of Paul, but in the midst of World War II and the Holocaust, preached them to his congregation and repeatedly sought to instill within them the understanding that the love of God and the love of neighbor as oneself are synonymous. One of the ways, one of the practical ways in which Pastor Bonhoeffer wrote that this was accomplished is what he called active helpfulness. Quoting from his book, Life Together, he writes, the service that one should perform for another in a Christian community is that of active helpfulness. This means initially, simply a simple assistance in trifling external matters. There's a multitude of these things wherever people live together, he writes. Nobody is too good for the lowest service. One who worries about the loss of time that such petty outward acts of helpfulness entails is usually taking the importance of their own career and their own life too solemnly. In the practical terms of day-to-day life, This is what Paul is asking of that fledgling church in Philippi and, by extension, what he is asking us 2,000 years later. That we help one another. That we serve one another. Not grudgingly, but out of a shared love. That shared love we have for God and that self-same spirit that fills each and every heart and unites us in Christ. Years ago, I was visiting a church in San Francisco where a good friend of mine was the pastor. There was a particular line in his sermon that stayed with me throughout the years, probably because I find it to be so true, not only in my own life, but in the life of my ministry as a pastor and priest. In the sermon, he said, 
It is often easier to worship Jesus than to live like Jesus. I think one of the reasons that 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 is is because to live like Jesus means that I am called upon, I am responsible to put the needs of others first, to look to their interests and not to my own, to, as Bonhoeffer says, be actively helpful to those around me. Such active helpfulness, such a servant attitude is so much harder to come by than sitting in a pew and singing a few hymns and praying a few prayers once a week. And I will say that here at Trinity Cathedral with that choir and this space and all of you, it's a pretty rich worship experience. I've been to a few churches, not many can compare. But we know that our Christian faith is so much more than that. It can't be encapsulated just on what we experience here on a Sunday morning. It must extend to what happens when we walk out those doors over to Kempton Hall, when we're in the chapel for prayer, when we meet people on the street coming on to the close. We are to be a servant to one another and to all to whom we encounter even as Christ was servant to all. Another noted personage of our church history, Martin Luther, that pivotal catalyst of the Protestant Reformation, he once wrote that we must remember that the church is not an organization with Jesus as its founder. And let me just say as an aside, after 40 years of pastoral ministry, a lot of times that was really hard to remember at vestry meetings, that it's not an organization. It's a community of people. The church is not an organization with Jesus as the founder. Rather, Luther writes, the church is an ecclesia. If you went to uh, the the dean's uh, conversation, we got a lot of Greek today, which is really great. It's an ecclesia. It is a community of people who have been called out, ecclesia, called out from the world to become a congregation or a community of people as in the first century. He goes on to write, it is, the church is a continuing community of people in whom the Lord is still alive and with whom the Lord is still present. This is what Paul was trying to teach those newly formed Christians in Philippi. This is what the Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was trying to teach the long-established Christian community seeking to authentically live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of Nazism. And this is what God is continually trying to teach us as the church in today's increasingly fractured social, economic, and political climate. You and I are a community of people, a community of people in whom Jesus is present. As such, our worship, our liturgy, the care of our building and property, the radical hospitality, the this cathedral community is unwaveringly committed to, all of this must be done as servants. Servants not of God, but servants of one another. To have the mind of Christ is, as we have seen in the lessons read for today, is to have the mind of a servant to those around us, to give of ourselves freely for the benefit of others not in selfishness and conceit, as Paul writes, but in humility, counting 
as we are able, others more worthy than ourselves. When we as a community of people can do that, then we are really and truly a church. When we as a community of faith can do that, then we are truly the body of Christ in this world. Yet there is still one more reality that we must face before we leave this passage this morning. One more reality we must face if we are to truly live like Jesus and not just take that easy path of worshiping Jesus for an hour or so on Sunday. It's found in the last verse of our passage from Philippians today. Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his his good pleasure. Fear and trembling, Paul says. An exhortation that I imagine chafes our theological understanding as Episcopalians. Ours is not a fear and trembling type of faith. I have been in those churches. I have preached in those churches. I have believed that doctrine for half my life. Fear and trembling. When will God's judgment come crashing down upon my life because I forgot to have my morning devotions? or an inappropriate word slipped from my mouth. No, that's not the fear and trembling that Paul is referring to. Such words of that condemnation are far more fitting to Jonathan Edwards' 1741 classic sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, does not fit 21st century Anglicanism. So what is Paul saying in this final exhortation? Just this. As we live in community and seek to live out the fullness of the gospel of Christ, we will make mistakes. There will be times when we are unsure of the way forward. There will be times when our humanity, truth be told, is just a little too transparent for our own good or for the good of others, and we will hurt and disappoint those we hold dear as well as those whom we seek to serve. And so our fear and trembling is not fear of God's wrath and judgment, but it is rather the honest expression of our humility that acknowledges that no one of us has all the answers. No one of us knows for certain that the next step we believe we are to take, whether individually or as a community, is the best right next step. And just let me interject here, and this will probably show up in another sermon at another time, but trust me, as a 31-year-old pastor of a fundamental church, when I told my board I was gay, and I'd be offering them my resignation, which they promptly accepted along with the keys to the church, it was with fear and trembling, because I didn't know, after 20 years of struggle, if this new path was God's path for me. None of us are omniscient. None of us are infallible. Therefore, we live our lives in recognition of the words of another great 20th century theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, who writes that nothing that we do is worth doing, or excuse me, nothing worth doing is ever completed in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope, Nothing true or 
good or beautiful makes complete sense in any immediate context. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. And in the context of this sermon and this passage, that love is expressed in community. To my mind, this is how we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling as we, in awe and wonder, realize God, who is at work in each of us, enabling us individually and as a community to will and to work for God's purpose. Paul and Bonhoeffer and Luther each spent a lifetime proclaiming this message to those who called themselves Christians. It cost Paul and Bonhoeffer their life. Paul executed by beheading on orders of Emperor Nero, Bonhoeffer executed by hanging on orders of Adolf Hitler. 30 days, incidentally, before VE Day, victory in Europe, and the war ended. 30 days, Hitler would not let him survive the war. Yet their message lives on. This message, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, took the form of a servant. May you and I be humble servants of God as we serve the needs of our brothers and sisters in the spirit of radical hospitality that this cathedral community is known for, as well as in all the places where God will place you and to all the people whom God will entrust to your ministry. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.